If you're doing your first few deals, don't be afraid to give up a chunk of the deal, a big chunk even, because that'll help you get it done. Number one, it'll help you get some deals under your belt so you, you've got credibility with the banks and with other investors. And so don't be greedy. Don't be afraid to share because it'll wor- definitely work in your favor. Best ever listeners, wouldn't it be nice to have a $2 million pre-approval line of credit? Ah, just think about that. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice? How would that help you get more deals done? Because when you submit a pre-approval line of credit with your offer on a fix and flip house, do you think it's going to stand out more? I think so. And our friends at Fund That Flip, you know Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show before many times. He's a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Fund That Flip and they're a sponsor of today's episode. What they're doing is they're giving a $2 million pre-approval line of credit up to $2 million pre-approval line of credit for qualified buyers. And my gosh, in this competitive buying market, sellers prefer to sell to buyers who have a high likelihood of closing, right? Makes sense. Well, use this pre-approval line of credit from Fund That Flip and that will signal to the seller that you're the real deal and you'll be able to close quickly. It's free. All you gotta do is go to fundthatflip.com. You've gotta qualify that you have prior experience and there's a process, but it's free and you need to go to fundthatflip.com to get the pre-approval line of credit because this is a way that's gonna help your short-term rehab loan happen because you're going to get the deal for the property where you need the short-term rehab loan. Go to fundthatflip.com and get that pre-approval line of credit for up to $2 million. Best ever listeners, hello. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out the fluff and we only talk about the best real estate investing advice that moves your business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and many other successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs. With us today, we've got a very successful investor, both in single family and multifamily. How you doing, Rod Cleef? I'm awesome. I really appreciate you having me here, Joe. Well, my pleasure, my friend. And in addition to him having owned more than 2,000 single family homes and apartment communities, he is also part of Tony Robbins team and he goes to the Tony Robbins event. So we are kindred spirits on that level. That's for sure. Cause as you all know, best ever listeners, I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan. He is also the director of investments at MHP management group and the host of a wonderful podcast titled lifetime Cash Flow through real estate investing. He's also got an upcoming book coming out in uh, a couple months. So stay tuned in there. And he started a foundation called the Tiny Hands Foundation, which has benefited more than 40,000 children in need. He's based in Sarasota, Florida. With that being said, Rod, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So my background, I immigrated when I was six to the United States, ended up in Denver, Colorado. And ended up buying 500 houses in Denver in a buy and hold strategy. Did very, very well there. 
then I uh, went to Memphis, bought a couple hundred houses there. Um, that really didn't go as well, and I won't waste your listeners' time with why, but uh, that was a seminar. I don't call them failures. I call them seminars. That was a, that was one of my seminars. And then I ended up in Florida, and uh, I've owned over 1,300 houses here in Florida, and I've had apartment communities in each one of these states as well. So uh, I had about 800 houses when 2008 hit. Let me back up. In 2006, my net worth went up $17 million. I, and I was real proud of that. You know, In fact, I worked it out how much it was an hour and how much it was a month and all that. It was $17 million bucks is what my net worth went up in 2006. Well, everybody knows what happened in 2008, and it crashed uh, and burned much further than that. And what happened with me, because um, single-family homes in Florida, the taxes and the insurance are so high, I had a correction. I had a, I had a big seminar. And um, what I noticed was that my single families weren't doing great because of, like I just said, the taxes and insurance, and, and I had a high turnover in the caliber of properties that I owned. And so those got hurt, but my multifamily did just fine. My apartment communities, they contracted, but they were easily able to weather the storm. And so I realized that for the rest of my life, my focus is going to be cash flowing real estate, multifamily real estate. So that was my lesson. So that's, that's my history in a very, very quick version. That is a lot of history, yeah. that's for sure. And there's a lot we can dive into. Um, I would like to know, and, and perhaps it is those, it, it's those reasons you mentioned, the taxes and the insurance and high turnover. Is that why the Memphis stuff failed too? No. Anybody that, that knows Memphis, and please, anybody, any of you that live there, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but it is a world unto itself. And you know, for example, if somebody, if you go to evict a tenant, they get letters from about 12 attorneys that say, file a wage earner and stop your eviction. It's a chapter 13 bankruptcy, but they call it a wage earner. And so it literally can take sometimes up to over a year to get a tenant out. Now, this is, again, this is back, now my history, it may not be that way anymore. My history is in Memphis was 15 years ago, but it was just, you know, the caliber of the property that I had, the caliber of the tenants. I, I bought, I bought a house in Memphis for 1500 dollars, 1,500 square foot house, three bedroom, two bath. I bought a house for $3,500, 1,500 square feet, $5,000. I regret every one of those purchases. <laughs> so that should tell you something. Got it. And you clearly had a property management company managing them. Was no, it I've, your... I've always self-managed. I had okay, a property it's... management company there. I still have a property management company today. I've always self-managed. I believe in that. Right. Uh, what I was meaning to say or what I was trying to say is that you either you clearly personally didn't manage it, but you either had your own company or you hired a third party. So you had your own company. How many properties does your own property management company manage in Memphis right now? Oh, I've only got, I, again, I had 200 at one time. I bought them all in one year from different owners. I'm great with systems, but now I'm, I'm left with seven or eight. I mean, I'm, I'm out of Memphis for all practical purposes. Those happen to be free and clear, and they're still a stepchild, honestly, even today. But uh, no, I'm glad I'm out of there, and I love Florida. Uh, my focus in multifamily is actually the whole eastern half of the United States with a primary focus on the uh, southeastern states, the Carolinas, Georgia, Tennessee, down in Florida, of course. We'll get to multifamily in a second because I'm focused on multifamily and I'd love to talk multifamily with you. I just have a, okay. one more follow-up question on the stepchild in Memphis, and that is with the seven to eight properties, you mentioned you have your own property management company. How mm -hmm. does that property management company support itself 
if you only have seven to eight properties? I've got quite a bit of property left in Florida, and, and we're actually managing that from, we're okay. managing the Memphis properties. All the tenants in Memphis have been there for 15 years except for one property. Now, that property, I have had a little uh, problem with my local property manager here over because it's kind of fallen through the cracks. And uh, so we had a conversation about that last week and it needs to get back on the radar and get rented. But uh, it's difficult, obviously, to manage long distance. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. But I've had such bad luck with management there. When I did actually at one time try to have outside managers manage it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'll tell you my worst war story there. Um, I had a property manager working for me in my office there and she embezzled $100,000 from proclaiming properties were empty that were occupied and she collected the rents. And, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a real nightmare. In, how'd you, in, how'd you find out? I went there and, and surprise visited, visited the property, saw they were occupied. She actually signed a confession. I'm, I'm way off. We're way off base here, but she <laughs> signed, she signed a confession and, and the police never did anything about it. It was, it's, it's, uh, that's goes to speak to Memphis, honestly, that, that speaks to that environment there. But again, forgive me those of you that live there that love it, but I don't. So, you know, <laughs> so now we're East coast and yeah. the Southeast, yeah. your focus on multifamily. What's the last multifamily deal that you did? I had an 80 unit in Punta Gorda. I, I, I wrote a contract today, actually. I mean, we're, we're writing one today, a small one, 12 unit. But um, I had an 80 unit in Punta Gorda here, which is south of us here. And it was a great deal. We ended up with uh, five acres of zoned for another 200 units. And uh, it was it cash flowed really well through 08. And uh, so that's... Uh, that's uh, and I'm I'm actively looking. I mean, we had one in North Carolina, a 31 unit that uh, we almost pulled the trigger on, um, and uh, we're looking at another one up in Crystal River up here. I mean, we're actively looking for right now. I've got a full-time researcher. That's all he does is look for deals. So, what's the last one you purchased? The 80 unit? Is that right? Yes. Yes. It, and when was yes. that purchased? Uh, I have not been active up until just recently. When I went through 08, I went through a, a you know real. Uh, come to Jesus with myself. And I actually ended up forming another company, a litigation support company that turned into a $10 million business, which I am still involved with. So the last one I bought was really uh, back in 06. Okay. Got it. And yeah. you've had that sense. Now we have the benefit of hindsight and we can kind of take a look at how it's performed. So you have, you've had this 80 unit. Is that in Florida? Yeah, no, in all candor, and I have to be candid here, Joe, I no longer have it. It's gone. So, oh. you know, my I have I have about 50 properties right now, um, and but we just actively started buying again literally in the last few months. We started the podcast. I started actively looking again. But because of what I went through in 08 and how well my multifamily did back then, mm -hmm. uh, that's why I, you know, my, I'm a big push for, for multifamily now. That I, makes I, sense. I, and I was actually putting words in your mouth because the question I asked, what's the, what's the last one you purchased? Not if you still have it or not. So thanks right. for, thanks for uh, clarifying for me. All right. So you've got 50 properties yeah. percentage wise, where are they located? They're all in Florida. They're all in Florida, well, except, uh, except wait, for the wait, stepchildren. Wait, except, yeah, except for the ones in Memphis. So I've got about 58 then, if you count okay. those two. You yeah. don't even... Yeah. <laughs> you completely blocked them out of your mind. That's so funny. <laughs> okay, so you got about 58 or so. They're, most of them are in Florida. And again, they're, they're not my focus. I mean, you know, I, I listen, don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to discourage anybody that does single family homes because you can make a lot of money. But you mentioned my podcast. I've interviewed a couple of people that are experts in macroeconomics recently, and they all say a contraction's coming. So I would just caution those of your listeners that, that, that do 
single-family flipping, especially if they're in the high-priced ones, just to be careful. You know, you better have a second exit plan in case it doesn't sell. You better, you know, ideally that you can rent it through a correction because there's one coming probably in the next, sometime in the next 18 months to two years. You know, I've had a billionaire and then another guy that's worth a few hundred million tell me it's coming. And so they're pretty credible resources. And that's why my focus, like I say now, is totally multifamily. I don't even yeah. look at houses. But. Yeah, I get it. So your portfolio now is is all single family, right? right? Okay. Now you're focused on multifamily because you saw how it performed during the 2008 Armageddon. And so with the multifamily, you clearly, uh, I suspect, are still focused on mitigating the risk within how you purchase multifamily because you can purchase multifamily incorrectly and then you're at the same boat as someone who is fixing and flipping and doesn't have two exit strategies. Oh, absolutely. So, I, so yeah, how, I mean, how are you financing from a debt and equity standpoint the multifamily acquisitions? Well, like I say, we're, we're writing a contract today. It's just a 12 unit, 650 grand. It's a value add play. The rents are 550. They could be seven to 750, maybe even eight once the property has a facelift. And we will seek just a local regional bank at probably 75% loan to value. I'll pull in a partner or two to assist with the down payment and then reposition it uh, over probably 12 to 18 months. And the numbers make sense that we'll be able to refinance it at that point and give the investors their money back. And then we'll stay in the deal and uh, forget about it. Let, let the tenants pay it for us. And that's that's really my mindset. You know, it, I, I've always been a buy and hold guy, even though I got my butt kicked in 08. I still believe in buy and hold. I should have focused just on multifamily instead of single family at that time. But obviously, there are a lot of logistical management issues associated with owning 800 houses, two hours north of me and two hours south of me and everywhere in between. It's a leasing challenge. It's a maintenance challenge for a maintenance man. It's a turnover challenge. And so... That's the other reason. I mean, I've, I've managed 800 houses myself with a small staff and, and logistically I, I was a glutton for punishment. And that's why, you know, my apartments were just such a dream to manage and, and handle because, you know, like you, if you have a maintenance guy go out, you know, it can have a different stove in every single house, obviously, different mechanical, different plumbing scenarios where if you've got them all in one place, it's easy to stockpile parts. You don't have to drive an hour to to go uh, show it and, you know, sometimes they don't show up and, you know, all of those things that logistical challenges as well. So you mentioned that you're planning on doing a refinance after 18 months and get the investors their money back and hold on to it. How do you structure that specifically with your investors? Well, what I like to do and the the way I'm setting these up is they'll get a preferred rate of return somewhere in the five to six range probably. and, And that means whatever cash flow the property throws off, they will get that before anybody else gets any money. So they'll get that preferred return. And then once they're paid back, and of course, they'll get their percentage split of the cash flow. So uh, over and above that. So if the if the property cash flows as it will, that'll get split as well. And what's the uh, split? What do you, what do you like? Well, to do? It, I like to be in the deal for 30 to 50% personally. 
And then, you know, the investors get the remainder of that. And I'm not greedy. And I'll tell your listeners this too. If you're doing your first few deals, don't be afraid to give up a chunk of the deal, a big chunk even, because that'll help you get it done. Number one, it'll help you get some deals under your belt. So you're, you've got credibility with the banks and with other investors. And so don't be greedy. Don't be afraid to share because it'll wor definitely work in your favor. And so that's what I do. And then, the, like I say, the rest gets split between the partners. If one partner comes in, he, you know, uh, he can have up... You you know, upwards of 50 plus percent of the deal. And then, you know, I manage it. I, I make the decisions on when we do what. And that's and, and I would tell your listeners that as well. Make sure you maintain the, the management decisions. And then uh, when the value is back there, because all multifamily, as I'm sure you, you've, you've talked about, Joe, is, is based on net operating income. So when you're evaluating a, a, a multifamily property, you're looking at the gross rents, so you're looking at what the expenses are and what the net operating income is and any way to improve that net operating income. So, you know, you look at the rents, like in this particular property we're writing today, they're below market. The expenses look like they're pretty much in line, but sometimes we'll find expenses that are like 60, 70% of the gross income, which are way out of whack. And so, you know, something's wrong. Maybe they got a relative managing the property or they're paying utilities they shouldn't be paying or any number of things. So any way that you can improve that net operating income goes immediately to value. So anyway, I hope I answered your question. That was a long Well, ju yeah, just to clarify, once you do the refinance, you pay the investors back, and then you said you hold on to it long term. So, do they then exit out of the deal? No, no, they stay in the deal, and, okay, and that's it. how I that's how I sell it. You know, you're going to get your money back plus a return, and then you're going to end up with half this property that someone else is paying off, and you'll get cash flow and tax benefits and everything else. And and it's it's kind of a no brainer. It's it, and so I look for people. I don't look for the guys that invest in tech companies looking for a giant big hit. I look for investors that are interested like me in cash flow. And building annuities. So that's that's how I do it. I mean, I mean, there are other ways to do it. I mean, there are people that buy and then sell and cash out, but that's not me. I prefer to build uh, assets. And I think you do as well, don't you? Uh, yeah, we usually do a five-year plan. On the 30 to 50% percentage split that you mentioned that you would take, what percent of the equity do you put into the deal? It depends on the deal. I'm going to get to a point where I'm not going to probably want to put any of the equity in. But right now, I'll put in whatever percentage I end up with, which in this case is you know typically 50%. I say 30 to 50% because I really would want your listeners to work along those lines if they're specifically if they're doing their first deal. But I try to get 50. I'll be candid, and and I think it's it. I, I bring enough to the table where it's not unwarranted. So if if you get 50% of the deal, then how much in that scenario of the equity would you put in? I put in 50% today. Oh, so, so you today. would, so you yeah, would today. get a, a promote on that? Yes. I, I also would get a preferred rate of return if I, if I'm putting the money in, which, right. you know, and the, and the, you know, and I am willing to do that today, but I can tell you back you know, when I was doing a whole bunch of these, it got to a point where I didn't have to put money anymore. That's the way to do it. I mean, ideally, you know, your listeners get enough credibility and they're congruent and they have the ability to influence that they can put deals together where they don't have their own money in them. They just have to bring everything else to the table. Rod, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Buy multifamily, do not do single family. And I think I've explained why. You ready for the best ever lightning round? You bet. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you. 
on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read. Make It Big by Frank McKinney. Fantastic book uh, for all kinds of reasons. Real estate, uh, personal development. In fact, I'm interviewing him on the show in a couple of days. I can't wait to do it. But uh, great book. Make It Big. Well, I will be buying that then. Yeah. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it? Tony Robbins, 16 years involved in his technology. I've learned how to have you know emotional health, relationship health, health, period, business strategies, every possible thing. If you haven't seen Tony Robbins, go see Tony. Just trust me. You'll be glad you did. Yep. Agreed. The best event I've ever been to, and this includes sports events, is the Unleash the Power Within that I went to last year and I will be going to another one this year and I will also be doing a date with Destiny too which is kind of like the the next level up. I did date with Destiny every year for 11 years as a gift to myself because it's so incredible. And Joe, if you go, you will see me there because I will definitely be there this year and it's typically in December. I've done them all over the world with him in Australia and in Fiji and everywhere else. But no, if you haven't seen Tony guys, owe it to you. Just trust me. Just go. Just trust me. He's fantastic. Best ever deal you've done? I'm going to tell you the, the one that made me the happiest, okay? The one that made me the happiest was when I was young and stupid. I was in my 20s, and I flipped a house, okay? This doesn't tie into my multifamily shtick, but I will tell you that I bought and flipped this house, and I, I made $130,000 profit, and I got it in cash at the bank, and I took it out in cash. And that, was my, <laughs> that was the funnest one I did. Briefcase or backpack or Yeah, I had a briefcase, and, and I mean, I was stupid, you know? That was just dumb. I don't recommend that to anybody, but it was fun. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I have my Tiny Hands Foundation. In 2000, my brother and I decided to feed five families for the holidays, for Thanksgiving it was. And so we got these big baskets of food and we wrapped them up. And Tony does this as well. I got the idea from Tony Robbins because he does it in a huge way. So we fed five families. and And I went up to a house and the lady came out and she started crying. Her five kids came out. They all started crying and I was hooked. So the next year I did 50 families. Next year I did 100 and I doubled it every year up into 1600. And I paid for it this whole way. And then 08 happened. And then I formed the Tiny Hands Foundation and we've now fed 40,000 kids. We have also done thousands of backpacks filled with school supplies to at-risk children that don't have the basic school supplies. And we've also done thousands of uh, teddy bears to the Sarasota and Bradenton police departments to put in their patrol cars when they encounter a child that's been in a traumatic experience. So that's my greatest joy, I'll be honest, uh, giving back. And those of you that are listening, if you don't do something to give back, even if it's just a smile or helping an old person across the road or whatever, Trust me, you're missing out because that's really what life's about. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? You know, the the one that stands out is a single family mistake. This guy and I were both looking at houses to buy at the same time. He worked for me and he thought I'd gone to look at this house and I thought he'd gone to look at it and it was 30 grand. And so we close on it. Neither one of us had looked at it and we get there and there's nothing above the ceiling everything's gone the roof the ceiling it's daylight you walk in it is daylight and so it was a big renovation project we actually ended up making money but oh my god it (laughs) it looked it looked ugly when we drove up i will tell you and what's the key takeaway there for you (laughs) i that you know that was just moving too fast bottom line that was moving too fast uh 
but uh, that may not have been the greatest example for your podcast, but it was, it was, it was, uh, that was a takeaway. What's the best ever place the best ever listeners can reach you? Well, I'm happy to give advice to anybody that needs it. They can email me directly at rod at rodcleef.com. That's R-O-D at R-O-D-K-H-L-E-I-F as in frank.com. And of course, I have my Lifetime Cashflow podcast and interview some fantastic people. And that's lifetimecashflowpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from anybody that's enjoyed this episode with you. Well, Rod, thank you for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with best ever listeners and talking about how you have evolved your career, how you've gone through the peaks and valleys of real estate investing and back when your net worth was 17 million in 2006. Oh, no, no, it was, it was, uh, no, it was 50 million net worth. My net worth went up 17 million in one year. Oh, by the way, Joe, I forgot to mention that book. If, you know, again, don't hold me to having it done in two or three months, but if they want it, it's free. It'll be really good on multifamily real estate investing. And all they have to do is text ROD to 41411 and they can get on the list for it. Just don't hold me to the time frame, but it's, it's really coming along well. So if they're interested in that book, uh, please uh, text me. Cool. Well, so yeah. there's the text, and thanks for clarifying the net worth of 50 million in 2006, yeah. and then yeah. then not so much once 2008 happened, and lessons learned along the way. In particular, clearly from what you've said, your focus on multifamily and cash flowing assets that can withstand some of the corrections or um, a, you know Armageddon, depending on what happens is the way that you're approaching it. And I I love talking to people who have been in the business longer than I have because that's what this podcast is all about. It's learning from people's experiences. And I'm very grateful that you came on the show and shared your experiences because there's a lifetime worth of lessons that we just discussed today. And I recommend Best Ever Listeners listen to this podcast again, especially if you're multifamily or a fix and flipper because there's ways that you can start mitigating your risk now if and when something is going to happen. So thanks again for being on the show, Rob. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever.